the Baron slip thing just made it that much more viral, I think, because... Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast, a weekly show where we will dive deep into the history, stories, and controversies surrounding the fingerboarding community. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast. I'm your host, Nostalgia FB, and we are excited to be chatting with Mike Schneider of Flatface. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on your streaming platform of choice. This show is sponsored by Fingerspace Co., which provides fingerboarding gear for riders of all skill levels and budgets. Mike, thank you very much for coming on to the show, man. How you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. No, of course, of course, our pleasure. So the first question that we like to ask individuals that come onto our show is, how did you get into fingerboarding? I know this is something you've probably been asked for a very long time and have gone over a thousand percent, but for anybody, or a thousand times, excuse me, for but for anybody listening that may have not heard the story, uh, please share it with us. Yeah, so I started skateboarding in fourth grade. And around that time, the kids in my class had tech decks. They were playing with them, fingerboarding, like during class, during recess and stuff. And I thought it was super cool. So I kept asking my mom to buy me one over and over again. And then eventually she finally did. And I still have that first one, actually. It was a like a red Tony Hawk one. It's on my wall now. And yeah, that was as soon as I got one, I was just hooked. I really, really enjoyed it. And a ton of us, like probably almost like 10 kids in the class, like like all the boys basically were fingerboarding and we'd stay in from recess. Like the teacher would let us just like build stuff out of clipboards and books and stuff and just fingerboard like during recess instead of going outside and stuff like that. So yeah, we were just fingerboarding like as much as possible. That's fantastic. Yeah, tech deck seems to be how a, a lot of individuals get started. I started in the fourth grade as well, pretty much the exact same way. Fourth grade for you, though, how long ago was that? I don't want to, you know, call you out or anything, but in years, if what rough estimate. Yeah, so that was like 19, 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago or so or more, 20, 21. Man, so just over 20 years of fingerboarding and doing this and all that stuff. I mean, you have been pretty much since the beginning, uh, the beginning of when everything started to build and all that type of good stuff. So fourth grade is when you get introduced to tech decks and you get started and all that type of stuff. And you've posted on your Instagram and other platforms before on a lot of the old fingerboards that you've made. And of course, everybody knows Flatface and, you know, the the big brand and face that it is today. But how long was it after you started fingerboarding that you decided, you know what, I want to start tinkering around and seeing if I can make one, maybe make it better. How, what was that beginning like? Yeah, so probably within the first few months or so, we realized like, you know, you could put skateboard grip over your tech deck and make it a little bit better. And you could take nail polish and paint the trucks. And so we just started like modifying them. I mean, going from there, basically, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll buy a bunch of skate grip and I'll sell sheets of skate grip and I'll try to make boards out of wood. And like, it took me a while to find the wood. So probably another half a year or so went by until I got some wood, maybe longer. I don't know. But it was about 2003 when I was really like making stuff and like started flat face. Okay. What did the beginning of Flatface look like? What was it? I mean, I don't imagine that you had a mission plan or a mission statement or what you were trying to do with it. Um, but what were those beginning years like? Yeah, so um, I had no idea that Flatface could become like anything substantial. Like I, I wasn't thinking that far forward. I was more thinking like, what am I doing right now? I'm going to make some fingerboards. And I was selling them to kids in my class for like $4, $5. And that was like the average price of a wooden board back then. It was like a few dollars. And they weren't very nice like how they are now or like high tech or anything. But that was the beginning of it. So yeah, it went from like painting trucks and selling grip tape to like making actual boards, selling them in class. And then I was also super into computers around like fourth grade, fifth grade. So I made a website and I was like sharing my stuff online and stuff. And the next thing you know, like people were actually asking me for boards from like the internet. So then it wasn't just like in class, but it was like people from like tech deck forums and FFI and maybe a little RZF, maybe not. I don't really remember that clearly, but in general, I mean, they would find my website and then like email me or whatever it was and like order boards. So it just naturally progressed from like a small thing that I was doing and gradually got bigger. That's awesome. It seems to have been really that organic growth 
uh, you know, wasn't rushed and you were doing it for you. And like you said, you were just worried about what am I doing right now? Let's focus on in the moment and your savviness for computers at the time. And then the interest in fingerboarding. Do you think it was right place, right time, right motivation, and just that organic growth that really propelled you forward? Yeah, definitely. And just that I was super obsessed with it. Like, for example, like all the kids in my class, they gradually stopped fingerboarding, you know, maybe by like fifth or sixth grade. One by one, they'd kind of lose interest. And I was just getting more and more interested in it. The more I did it, the more I loved it. And so I was always trying to make like a better board than before and, you know, see what else I could do. I eventually got into making wheels. There weren't any wheels available really besides tech deck wheels. There was Winkler wheels in Germany and we couldn't get them and nobody spoke German and all the stuff online was like very confusing. So there was really like no bearing wheels in the US. Yeah, I, I was just super obsessed with everything. Just like, how can I make something new here? And that's pretty much pretty much making something new and better and keeping on improving it is like the whole thing that I've always been trying to do. Fantastic. Um, I mean, just like any great business or, or company or product, you know, finding finding a problem and creating a solution, which is what you've done, you know, time and time again. So before I forget to ask this question, you know, you bring up the forums and the internet in the early days. It is very different for a fourth and fifth grader that's getting into fingerboarding now than it was for yourself when you got started. How do you feel about fingerboarding today and what it's progressed to and the different platforms and avenues somebody has to be able to market themselves? Because it's it's a night and day difference. Yeah, it's it really is way different. I don't even know if younger kids will understand that much, but like we didn't have cell phones. There were no cell phones with the internet on them. Like that wasn't even a thing. You couldn't just grab your phone and watch a video. If you want to watch a fingerboard video, you'd have to download it overnight to watch like a 30 second clip because the internet was so slow and it tied up the phone line. Like, I know it sounds ancient, but that's just how it was like in the <laughs> beginning days. It was like, you know, super slow internet, like forums were very basic and you'd have like a link to download someone's video overnight and like it would take 10 hours and then you get to watch like three sloppy clips filmed on a webcam in like 240p and yeah now you know you got instagram you got whatever else facebook youtube i mean yeah youtube is a huge one we didn't have youtube in the beginning although it started like 2006 so maybe like three four years into my fingerboarding youtube started and uh that was way easier to share videos and stuff but yeah now we have a scene we have you can communicate with people easily you can send videos instantly and yeah so there's been like rapid progression because everybody is on the same page worldwide like within a matter of minutes you know you post something and people all over the world can see it right away and yeah i mean we didn't have events there was no fingerboard events back then i made like basically the first one in the u.s modeled after what i saw in germany that they had them and that barely worked like that was lucky that it worked out at the last minute kind of and it was like <laughs> seven of us or something but then people saw that video of seven of us and the next time it was like 20 and the next time it was 40 and so yeah it grew from like almost nothing you know absolutely man that what you mentioned about making connections and all that stuff is so like you say night and day difference now i started fingerboarding in 2010 2009 to 2010. I oh, have like the best time. never known fingerboarding. Absolutely. I just, I, kids today will never know. And I have never known fingerboarding without Mike Schneider, without Flatface, without Rendezvous. You brought up the, the conversations about events. And we all know how legendary Rendezvous has become at your own warehouse but take us back to how it began. I think it was, we had a conversation, another episode with Sid, Piera, uh, Vicious274, and he talked about the beginning and early rendezvous, you know, in halls, in, I think he mentioned the school and other different places where you started. I mean, you mentioned it was seven in the beginning, 12. What was that progression like to what it is today? Basically the fingerboarding mecca in the US. Yeah, so like I said, there was no events yet. There was not even like, you wouldn't even meet up with like one fingerboarder from online. It was like pretty much unheard of in the U.S. 
And so I saw videos in Germany where they did like probably fast fingers or whatever other events were going on. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I posted like on the tech deck forums and whatever, like, you know, I'm in Massachusetts. I want to meet up with some fingerboarders. If we've talked on here or whatever, like, let me know you're kind of invited or like, you know, we'll work something out. And I had like four friends from town that joined. And then, you know, online, like people wanted to come, but like, it wasn't really going to happen. Like you didn't meet up with people on the internet back, back then. Like, now it's common, you know, there's like dating apps and stuff nowadays where you can like meet a person from your phone. Yeah, that was not that was fully unheard of. You would never meet a stranger on the Internet. That was like you would think they would just abduct you and kill you or something like it was, you know, back in the day, nobody did that. So it was really just like, come on, like we're fingerboarders. Let's fingerboard together. Somebody's got to got to make this happen. We'll do some events. And so. Taylor Rosenbauer and two of his friends were going to come. And then he was like, oh, we can't do it. And it was like the day before or something, he canceled. And I was like, dang. And I was like, you know what? This event's basically ruined because the only people who said they could come aren't coming. But I'll leave it up. I'll say it's happening anyways, just in case. And then the night before, he's like, oh, my parents changed their mind. They're going to drive us. You know, it's seven hours. They're going to do it and we'll be there. And I was like, yes. And so basically the event was one car full of kids from New Jersey, and then me and my friends. So it was like, really, it was like, you know, it barely came together. But just the fact that it came together right there started everything. So this was just in my parents' driveway. We just brought out a few tables, all my ramps and stuff. Me and Pat built this ramp the night before. We stayed up till like five in the morning building it. And then we just fingerboarded out there in the sun like all day long. And it was... I still remember the feeling seeing Taylor Rosenbauer fingerboard like pretty much better than me, like right in front of my eyes. I never seen somebody that could just do like nollie train nose grind or something like so clean. And like, you know, I could do it too, but not like consistently and stuff. Like I was really mind blown just seeing like somebody else better than me. Really, really like the first time you see fingerboarding in real life is just different than like just you and your friends that are like learning it all together at the same pace, more or less. Like me and Pat were both kind of like the best fingerboarders in our class and stuff. But yeah, it was wild. And so anyways, we posted the video of Rendezvous 1. It's still on my YouTube or like I re-uploaded it or whatever. You can see it on there. And we filmed so much. It was like probably a half hour long video from like one session. And yeah, it just kind of showed people that you can do it. You can go to a fingerboard event and meet up with people and so the next one was twice as big. The next one after that was twice as big as that. And, you know, then I was like, all right, this doesn't fit the garage or the driveway anymore. And so I rented out a space for it. And, you know, people started bringing parks and I started getting more ramps and parks. And over time, it basically evolved into what it is now, where it's like there's now there's 30 parks and 400 people and they can fly in from all over the world. And then... Not only that, but there's other people doing fingerboard events too. So now there's events everywhere. Like practically, I don't know, maybe not every state, but like almost every state seems to have fingerboard events at this point. There's something you can find wherever you are, or if not, it's only a few hours away from you. And it's awesome to see that it's become very common. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just from personal experience, I threw the first, uh, me and a partner threw the first ever fingerboard event out here in Las Vegas. And by the way, I think we've done three of them now. Thank you for sponsoring each time. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you handle, but somebody does and we get the packages and all that good stuff. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, dude, Gosh. that's awesome. Thank you. You really took me back bringing up Taylor Rosenbauer. I think that's somebody that deserves a shout out, even though you just mentioned them, because I don't think a lot of the the young fingerboarders today are really going to know who Taylor is or the influence that he had on the fingerboarding scene. I mean, back on YouTube, tell me if I'm wrong. I remember it was him, you, Gary Chin, and not many other individuals, but Taylor was always, I mean, it was always you and him neck and neck. But the fact that you guys came together and there was that camaraderie there. It was incredible to watch. Yeah, he's awesome. He was like the most serious YouTube filmmaker for fingerboarding, I guess you could say. And and just fingerboarder in general, like he was super precise and he would refilm tricks more times than I thought was even necessary, like to get it as clean as he wanted, even when we're all like, dude, it's already clean. He's like, oh, I got to do it again. And it's an amazing discipline that he had because it just like pushes the level to the next level. It's like 
he would make these videos that were like high production value and super amazing fingerboarding and just like they're still burned into your mind 10 plus years later and it's like it's just some of the best content so anyone who doesn't know look up taylor rosenbauer on youtube find his videos like he has a bunch of full-length parts and whatever random minis he filmed and yeah he's awesome absolutely absolutely man going back in in that era it was really the place to be and speaking of that era I have to ask while we're on the subject of YouTube, Red Bull and that whole commercial and spot that you did. How did that come to be? Because I remember watching that when it came out. I I had no idea what was going on. I just thought it was the most epic thing ever. Yeah, dude, that was crazy. That was I stayed in the nicest hotel I've seen in my life. They like paid me a full trip to California and filmed with me for a day and just made that video. Um, I think they just reached out to me at some point and were like, you know, we got this idea we want to do. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was funny because they were filming with like the craziest cameras and like professional filmers and all that. And they could not film fingerboarding. They were struggling. They kept missing my tricks. I had to redo everything a million times. And I had to like wait in between each shot because they had to like get ready. And they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, I literally just filmed myself with my left hand, like, or my friend will film me at best. And (laughs) it was just really funny because like the most advanced people supposedly, like they were struggling with it, but they did a great job. You know, it came out really good, obviously. So it was just like, It was crazy to be like on what you could consider like a film set compared to just filming with my friends or something like, you know, the camera's 10 times bigger, the lights are five times brighter and there's like people running around like and there's catering and all this stuff. So it was like super crazy. And then they had that helicopter that's like in the last scene, which is like, I don't even know if you remember the helicopter, but it's just in the video and, uh, It was such a fancy helicopter model that they got that they had to like call real helicopter pilots in the area and get somebody in there just to fly it because it had like the same controls as a real one and no one could figure it out. And it was like, that's how crazy they went on this whole production. So it was, it was insane. Oh my goodness. How, how old were you when that happened? I don't remember. I'm going to guess I was like 15 or 16, probably maybe 17. Dude, that experience, I can't even imagine. Being Because you're a skater as well. Yeah. Um, the part where they have all the pros talking about you and talking about this prodigy and all this stuff, uh, which I still think, you know, I when I was a kid, I took it serious and looking back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this satire is incredible. Did you know that was going to be a part of the video or no? Yeah, so I knew that but I didn't get to see them. Like that was all filmed separately from when I was there. So I didn't even get to meet any of those people or anything, but I was aware of the whole concept and the plan and what the video was going to be beforehand. And I was just like, that's, that's crazy. Like, like to me, even just like hearing like any pros, like talking about me or whatever was just like mind blowing. I was like, holy crap. Like I couldn't believe it, you know? And, and in general, just to be like featured by Red Bull was pretty cool. Like just cause it's, you know, a big brand. And I was a small kid at the time. And it's just like, wow, this is like, a don't know, a real brand, so to speak. Like, you know, I have my company and it's it's real too. But like, you know, like a big something everyone's heard of in the world, Red Bull, and they want to feature fingerboarding. And then they chose me like, that's really crazy. I still can't believe it. That's yeah, that is Gosh, that's incredible. You've been featured in other YouTube videos um, as well in little uh, documentary episodes and all that type of good stuff. And each time you get featured, you get brought up uh, pretty much as the best fingerboarder in the world, which you rightfully deserve that title, man. I know you're very humble, but we're going to lay it out there. It is what it is. Accept it. There's no arguing. Um <laughs> But individuals like Anthony Padilla, Wired, um, I, I'm forgetting one. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I, I say all this to bring up, it always expands the scene. It always brings good publicity. You know, they say all publicity is good publicity. But when you look at the comments a lot of the time, you have a lot of haters and individuals that like to dog on grown men playing with these toys. 
and I just wanted to see what are your thoughts about those kinds of individuals, those comments, or people trying to shame somebody for their age and doing or liking fingerboarding? I mean, you've been doing it for 20 plus years, so you grew up with it. So what's your perspective? Yeah, that's funny. Like, I think it's funny when people care what other people do in in a way that's negative, because it's like, you know, how does it even affect you? It doesn't. But the thing that I've learned over the years is like, people are always projecting how they feel inside. So if somebody is like insulting you or something, they're basically saying whatever they're saying to you, they're really saying about themselves. And I know it sounds crazy, but if you start noticing it, it's very obvious. Like if somebody's upset that you have like this hobby that you love, they're like, they might be actually sad that they had to give up their hobby for some reason or that they don't have a hobby or they don't have enough joy in their life that they have to like complain about somebody else having joy in their life. So when you kind of just get the perspective of like stuff like that, and also I've been fingerboarding for 20 years and, you know, in school, most people thought it was like cool or neutral, but of course there were some people who were just like, why the heck are you doing that? And would think it was dumb or weird. They just wouldn't understand it because it's not a hobby that they're into and it's a different thing and whatever. And so you know, it, it never really bothered me that much. And I think I got lucky because once I had my business like really running and stuff, people would just be like, oh yeah, he's the kid with the business. It's cool. So they wouldn't kind of give me crap about it as much. They more thought it was like awesome, but I would still fingerboard in class, which like I'm sure people thought was weird. Like, why would you be doing that in high school? You know, like, yeah, I've always also been the kind of person who doesn't really follow the crowd or care too much about what people think about me. So it's like, I'd rather be the weird kid fingerboarding in public and get to fingerboard on something cool that I saw than to go home and be like, oh, that spot was so cool, but I didn't want to be embarrassed. So I didn't use it. And now I wish I did. I'd rather fingerboard and get weird looks from people. You know, it's, I think it's funny. Like I always try to think like if I'm skateboarding or fingerboarding and like somebody who doesn't understand it sees, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, like what is going through their head? What does this look like? Like what, what level of comprehension do they have on this weird looking thing that I'm doing? Like imagine it's hard to imagine as skateboarders, but it must look so crazy seeing somebody fall down like a huge stair set and just be casual about it and try it again. Like as a pedestrian, you know, who's never skateboarded. I don't know. It's just, I I've always just kind of laughed about it, but it's, it's interesting. Absolutely. Very, very wise words. One thing one of the, the proudest moments I had. So a lot of people don't know this, but I am, I'm an educator. I'm a licensed teacher. And that's what I do for, you know, a living. Wow, I had awesome. a student that was playing with a tech deck. Thank you. That was playing with a tech deck in class. I wasn't lecturing. I wasn't doing anything. But he was, it was independent time and he was supposed to be doing something and he wasn't doing it. But he was also um, kind of getting made fun of it. Uh, for doing this because we're talking about juniors in high school. So I walked over, I took the tech deck. I think I, he had a binder. I did a uh, kickflip 50-50 on his desk, gave it back to him. Everybody freaked out. I said, you know, put it away, you know, do your book or whatever it was. And everybody was like, where did you learn how to do that? I was like, don't worry about it. But, uh, and then I gave him a lesson about bullying. But that was, that was one time where I was like, I get to be the teacher and not take it away. I just thought that was funny because you brought that up about, you know, fingerboarding in class. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> Dude, that's so awesome. I would have freaked out if my uh, teacher could fingerboard. Like, yeah, I mostly just had to deal with, like, teachers stealing my $130 setup that was one of a kind and then have to get my mom to get it back and fight them oh over it God. and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, I could never do that. At least not for, I mean, I had kids that Kendama, yo-yos, tech decks, all that type of stuff. Everybody just has their own outlet and we got to let them do what they do. But at the same time, get your education, kids. It's important. Besides the point, going back into focusing on fingerboarding and flat face, 2003, everything, you know, you started tinkering, all that good stuff. What year, um, I don't think I asked, did you have the first event, roughly? Um, it was 2005 or four or six. Yeah, between 2004 and six. I think it says it on the YouTube video if you want to Between check 2004 it. and six. Yeah. No worries. No worries. We're not, we, we don't, it's, we don't have to fact check it, but 
your parents through this entire process. I mean, watching one of the documentaries um, that you have on YouTube and, you know, seeing your dad get emotional about his son who grew into this prosperous entrepreneur was very, very heartwarming to see. What was their involvement and evolution with you and Flatface over the years? Yeah, so I'm super, super grateful for their support and everything. Like, it's it's unbelievable how much that they've, you know, just always been on my side with it but you know in the beginning I mean fingerboarding was this annoying thing that I was doing my dad was always like I'd wake him up before school because I was fingerboarding and like he was trying to sleep and he'd come in and be like hey stop doing that like I'm trying to sleep five more minutes whatever like because it's too early and uh you know a few years later I'm like hey I, I started a company mom and she's like okay yeah have fun whatever like not thinking anything serious of it and Neither was I really, but maybe a little bit more than they were. And then a couple, you know, over time, like they would ask me sometimes like, oh, hey, how's the company doing? Like, cause they'd see that I was always working on stuff and sending out boards and whatever. And then one time I said, oh, I closed it because I couldn't keep up with the orders. So now I'm trying to catch up and I closed the website so no one can order. And my dad was like, what, what do you mean you closed the website? Like that's, that's the best problem you can have. You gotta, you gotta figure out something here. And so basically, uh, around that time, my mom lost her job because they were like laying off a bunch of people and changing stuff in her company. And so she was like in between jobs and she was like, what if I work for you and can handle everything besides the actual making of the boards, like, you know, customer service and packaging and keeping track of orders and like, you know, all the background stuff that's not directly fingerboarding and making stuff. And I was like, all right, like, we can try it. Like, I don't know if it's, you know, it, it didn't really seem like it was going to turn into what it is now. But I was like, all right, you know, this this might work. Let's try it. And yeah, basically, so I hired my mom. And ever since, I've just been able to grow a whole lot because I don't get bogged down with all the extra stuff. I can do what I do best. And yeah, having that support is super important. And then over time, you know, my dad got involved too, cause I needed more help. And then I hired some other people like in my town and stuff. And yeah, now it's like full blown company every day, like people, multiple people working for multiple hours, doing multiple things, you know, like just, there's a whole lot going on now. And <laughs> it, it's really all because of them supporting me at that moment when I was like, yeah, I closed it. I didn't see a problem with closing. I was going to reopen it once I made the 20 boards or whatever I had to do, but you know, opening and closing it all the time is not going to bring it to the next level. It's just going to kind of keep it going. So yeah, realizing like no, that we could do more was a really good, good step. And it's just been going super well ever since then. Oh my goodness. Um, your, your mother, that's, uh, Mrs. Ellen Schneider, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, shout out to Mrs. Ellen Schneider, uh, the best customer service in fingerboarding in any company that you could ever deal with absolute pleasure anytime i need to you know hit up the uh the mike schneider flatface email she's always super quick to respond you can't ask for anything more how how old were you when you had your mother i mean technically quote unquote working for you or flatface like what wh how old were you yeah it must have been around i don't know 15 16 ish I'm not the best with like years and dates and stuff, so it's approximate. But yeah, it was, you know, no a couple worries, years no into worries. it. But still, that's incredible that it's it's unheard of for for somebody's, you know, child to actually end up prospering at this level at such a young age, which is incredible. One thing I would like to touch on, and you already brought it up, it was your progression with decks and wheels and all these different products. Let's let's take the wheels, for example. Um, I brought these out just because I can show them. This is a small portion of the flat face wheels that I own. I am not going to say how much of my money that I should have been putting into my uh, retirement account went into buying flat face wheels, but they're the best in the game. I said it. I don't care. And I'll, I'll keep saying it. I love plastic wheels. I love flat face wheels. When there's nothing being made and you realize, hey, we need wheels. 
we need bearing wheels. How does that process even begin? The wheel is returning in your head, no pun intended. How do you make that come to fruition? Yeah, so in my basement, there was always a million things because my dad does like engineering stuff. And so I found these circles basically that were like barely qualified to fit on a fingerboard and I asked my dad about them I was like hey what are these like because I knew like he made or had something to do with like the manufacturer of like components for the stuff that he made and you know I was just like you know what is this can we make these but differently you know can we make these but made for a fingerboard rather than made for whatever the heck it's uh, a part for because it was basically like a thin white round like wheel that you could kind of put onto a board and so anyways he was like yeah you know you just have to draw it up and put figure out the dimensions and he showed me how to do it he was like you know you you can measure things and then write down the size of what you want it to be and draw it as a shape and then you know basically figure out what type of material you want it made out of and then you can just get it made and so he hooked me up with a machine shop that's local to here and that he used before and told me what to do. And, you know, I used the same material that 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 piece that I found was made out of because I was like, wow, this is like smoother and it's way more special than just like Mm -hmm. a regular plastic or something, you know. And yeah, basically it grew from there. I just kind of like designed a wheel. I drew it up. I, you know, figured out how what size I wanted it to be. And we just kind of went for it. And so that was basically the start of flat face wheels. And then, you know, the next generation, I figured out like where I could get bearings and then I redesigned the wheel so that it could fit the bearing into the wheel and everything work properly and stuff like that. And yeah, so I don't know, I guess it sounds kind of simple when I when I talk about it now, but yeah, <laughs> there, there was trial and error. You know, we got actually the first wheels we got back. It was funny. They were so big. They practically touched the board because I measured wrong. <laughs> Cause I was like, you know, whatever, 13 or something. I was small and whatever. I made a mistake on, on the design on my first try. So, you know, there was, there were some revisions and then I wanted to get like, you know, the rounding of the edge. So it wasn't just a box. And then he was like, Oh, there's different types of rounding and different tools that they use you know, you can have like an angle, you can have a curve, you can change how the curve is. And so all these different things did come into play. It was like a little bit more complicated, but ultimately it was just like, all right, I'll keep doing it until I get it right. And yeah, that was about it. And then, yeah, over time I would experiment with like different bearings and different materials and finding like really special materials. So like I have certain materials on my wheels that nobody else uses and they just give it unique feelings that no other wheels will have. So like there's other wheel brands and they all make really cool stuff too. Like there's a lot of really good ones, but my point is that the materials that Flatface has, like some of them are truly unique to just Flatface. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And listen, they're they're my favorite for a reason and I think a lot of what you just said goes into into that reasoning. Here's a question I have for you because I don't want to divulge any flat face wheel secrets how did you balance because you just said you were 13 years old when you were designing the the wheels for a run the first time how in the world did you balance flat face and or work school and your education and then just life in general yeah basically flat face was all i wanted to do so i'd basically do it whenever i had time to and Besides that, I mean, I also hung out with friends and stuff, but whenever I was like not like at a friend's house or doing, you know, school and homework, it was probably 95% flat face stuff because like, that's what I'd be most excited and most waiting for the whole day. Like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, go make this next board or go revise the wheel design or test out new materials, whatever the heck, all these different things or work on my website. Like, I love that stuff. And so that's like what I'm always drawn to do. But of course you have the balance. So Like, I've always been pretty well disciplined in school and like getting good grades was always very important to me. Like, I wasn't thinking that flat face would be my job or anything, even at this point when it was growing, because, you know, it was doing well, but it was nowhere near like a career or something when I was younger. So it was really like the plan is to get good grades and go to college and get a high paying job, hopefully. And, you know, all that general stuff that people try to do. So Basically, like I I would work pretty hard at school and, you know, study a lot for my tests and stuff. And yeah, even though I didn't need the good grades in the end, 
I'm super grateful that my parents motivated me and kind of instilled that within me to know like, you know, if you do well in school, good things will happen because indirectly I learned a lot from that. Just having like the discipline to study, to figure things out, like for example, making the wheels, I think making them as unique and special as I did, it requires a lot of focus. You can't just you can't half-ass it or something, you know, you have to really work towards it and yeah. stuff like that. And like, there are things you have to learn about that you know nothing about that are in different fields, like literally material sciences and stuff. Like, you know, I didn't go to school for that, but you can learn anything. If you're interested in it, it becomes, well, it becomes interesting. You know, if you have nothing to do with it, it might seem super boring. Who cares about materials? But then when you're a fingerboarder, I care about materials because how does it feel and stuff like that. I, I guess that's a little almost off topic of the question already. But yeah, basically just no worries. I did did a lot of everything. But it was like as soon as I was done my homework or maybe before I would do my homework, get some fingerboarding in and then do my homework after and then hang out with friends. But yeah, a, a lot of times hanging out with friends also consisted of fingerboarding. So that's like indirectly... Okay. you know, working to an extent because your brain's always thinking like, you know, what, what can I do next? How can I, whatever. So, or like, yeah, I mean, it's all fun. I've, I never really thought about it as work, so to speak, but you know, there are aspects of it that you could consider to be similar to work. <laughs> no, of course, of course. I mean, growing into what it, what it's grown into today, of course, there's aspects of it, like any business that are going to, to feel a little bit like work. Flatface is growing in the U.S. I mean, through the years 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, Rendezvous, all this stuff is going on. It is and has always been the biggest company stateside. But like you mentioned, in the beginning, mimicked or took a lot of influence from what was going on in Germany. You have Black River and you had Berlinwood and you had all these Winkler and all these other different companies. And eventually, Flatface and Black River came hand in hand to collaborate over the years. How did that start? Because that must have been crazy for you, you know, being the owner and the proprietor of Flatface. It's I don't know how you look at it, but I would imagine it's it's your life. It's just it is what it is. But when you get to be involved with Black River and all these companies that you've been looking at for years, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. I still look at it and I'm like, I can't believe it because, you know, Black River was like my number one inspiration, like the, the brand that's like way over there. That's like untouchable, amazing. Like you, you're lucky if you even get to speak to them, kind of like that's how I felt when I was little and just being so inspired by everything that they did and they had the best fingerboarders on their team and their videos were like next level. And I got really, really lucky. So like on YouTube, there was like messages. I think they got rid of it recently, but there used to be like an inbox on there and I would get like hundreds and hundreds or probably thousands of messages. So I never even looked at them because it was impossible to keep up. So it was like, you know, if you need me, please email me. But like, I can't check every different platform. There's too much. So I randomly one day was like, I want to check my YouTube messages. Like I would probably check them every half a year just to like glance at a few of them. And a couple messages down was from Black River. And I was like, Black River, no way. And it was like, really them. And they were like, hey, we love your fingerboarding videos. We want to sponsor you on our team. And I still remember the feeling of reading that message and just like, going down to my kitchen. I forget who I told it was probably my parents or something, but I just remember being in my kitchen and just being so happy about it. And just like, like it was like a dream come true, like to be sponsored by Black River. And it was so lucky that I saw that message because like, I never would check there. And, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe if I didn't answer, they would think I didn't want to and never ask again or something. So it was kind of fate or whatever. But um, yeah, that was, that was a huge and still is a huge honor to be on their team and you know it opened up the door for like me knowing them in general as people and as friends and so we became really good friends and I started I think with just rip tape I think I was like so nervous to ask so I was just like oh maybe just can I sell some rip tape on my website or something like there's no way they say no it's just a little bit of rip tape and of course they were like yeah sure and you couldn't get rip tape very easily. You couldn't get Berlin Woods or any Black River stuff. Like it was so hard to get it in this country because 
their website was all in German and a little confusing how to order. I made like a video about how to order from them at some point. And because like you had to explain <laughs> the process, it wasn't like straightforward at all. And anyways, once we got to know each other and then they were like, yeah, you can sell some rip tape and we'll see how it goes. And then we went into boards and ramps and yeah, just like becoming the Black River distributor was really huge for the American scene because before that, you know, there was very little professional companies, period. And then everyone knew that Black River was the best, but it was impossible to get it or it was very hard to get it. There was like two other distributors beforehand, like not at that time, but before, and they had stopped and they both like started out strong. And then like they kind of fell off where they would like scam people or just like couldn't keep up with the orders or having all kinds of mistakes or whatever. So, so they fell off over time. So then there was really like, if you ordered from them, you had like a 50% chance of getting it, even though they were in the U S and so yeah, it kind of became like an actual reliable source because, you know, I had my mom behind me to like help with the business. It wasn't just a kid who's like overwhelmed in like a room full of ramps and have to package it for everyone. It's like as soon as you have a team and you can hold each other accountable and stuff, it's like, yeah, we were able to do it like for real and really help people to actually get what they ordered and all that. So it was, yeah, really crazy, really cool to be able to be the one to do that. It's still like unbelievable. No, that's that's incredible. And I can only imagine that feeling of being that person who, who, who gets to do that, be on that team and be a part of something that you had looked essentially up to for so long. You mentioned having a team um, and I know it's had to have grown um, at least a little bit over the years, but you as the owner, the proprietor, as Mike Schneider of Flatface, do you ever get to just, you know, wash your hands, so to speak, and step back for a second and watch this company run itself and reflect and look at what you've built and what you've been able to do? Or are you still, you know, elbow deep, or elbow deep into the entire process of everything that the company does? Yeah, so a little of both. I mean, I'm I'm super involved with it and everything is like the same in that way, but it also does run itself enough that like I can just kind of relax sometimes and just look at it and reflect. And I mean, I do a lot of kind of, I don't know, reflection or introspection or whatever the heck you want to call it. Just thinking about everything and kind of analyzing it. And like, it still blows my mind. Like I still, I can like step back and be like, I can't believe this. Even after 20 years, like I just, I can't believe that it all came to how it did, you know, that I, that I did everything that I did or that, that we all did really, you know, like the whole story, everybody involved, like it's really mind blowing to me. But yeah, like for example, yesterday I spent most of my day doing flat face stuff and, you know, taking pictures of different things and putting them on the website and updating this and that and, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, there can be other days when I do very little or I just do a few things. And then, you know, sometimes I'm glued to my emails and trying to get through them all. And it's impossible. Like people know I'm impossible to get in contact with because I just have too many emails. And it's like, do I start on the new ones? Do I start on the old ones that people have been waiting or do I start on the new ones so I don't fall more behind? And like, you know, ultimately, like the most important stuff gets done somehow, whether it's my mom or me or like my mom is really good at like reminding me, you know, and things like because she does customer service and then she'll see all the emails in general. So like when things need to be ordered and restocked and stuff like that, like that's the number one priority just to keep everything rolling smoothly. But yeah, I still like Flatface is... It's like everything is 100% my decision. So even though I have people working for me and helping and then my parents have like a pretty big role in it, anything that happens has to be run by me or approved by me regardless of what it is. And we agreed on that very early on. Like, you know, it's, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever my parents started working with me, we had to figure out like, how can we do this in a way that works that, that they don't feel like they're taking it or changing it and I don't feel like I'm losing something and like that the brand stays as what it is. So it's like, all right, basically you guys get to help out 
but I'm the boss kind of thing. And also I'm very interested in their feedback and their ideas. You know, it's not like, I'm not like trying to like rule over them and be like, Oh, this is all mine. It's more of like, if you have a cool idea and we agree on it, I would love to implement it. You know, and they've had a lot of really good ideas that, that they've told me that I have done. And then sometimes they would have an idea that I'm just like, "Eh, I see where you're coming from, but we're not going to do that. Like, and here's why. And so like, we're pretty much always on the same page with everything. And yeah, just having that, like that dynamic set up keeps it so that it's, it stays how it needs to be. Like in terms of my vision for the brand, like if you think about it, like with other companies and stuff, if somebody like sells their company, let's say, and then the company changes, it's because the new people involved are like not the person who had the original vision for the company. And so that's really important to me is like to keep it to the original vision, like handmade as much as possible, high quality as much as possible. Everything that we resell from other companies has to be brands that like I stand behind quality and the person behind it. I have to think like, you know, this is a good person that, you know, I I don't mind representing them like, because, you know, we're all kind of a community and stuff. So we're responsible to an extent for each other, you know, not fully, but to an extent, like you want to have a, a good crowd around you and stuff like that. So yeah, like I try not to sell companies that are like not run by fingerboarders or like things like that. But um, yeah, I've always looked at it as kind of how can we each help each other? So when there's another fingerboard company, like people are like, Oh, what do you do about competition? But I'm like, I don't see it as competition because we're all just making fingerboards and stuff. And like, you know, sometimes I can help them by distributing their boards and getting them a wider range of people that can get their boards all around the world. And so it's like, it works for both of us instead of like trying to outsell each other or something. It's like, you got both options right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the things that has helped the not only the success, but the relevance of flat face for so long is that it's not just about you and Mike Schneider and flat face and that's it. You bring other people onto the site and help everybody grow. You know, if everybody was on that same page, everybody would be able to prosper. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one a super big thing. Absolutely. One thing I have always thought about, not always thought about, but ever since I heard this story, I cannot for the life of me remember where I heard this. And I, I, I just, I need to ask you to see if it's true or if you have any recollection of this. But I was told at one point many moons ago, you were in California doing some sort of fingerboarding tour. And you were somewhere, I think I was told it was on by the pier, by the beach, or something was going on. And the police showed up that you guys were raffling something off, selling something, giving prizes, I can't remember. And the police said, you are not allowed to do this, something happened. And the person that was telling me the story said, uh, basically when Mike was told that he wasn't allowed to do this, he did the most gangster move ever and grabbed all the gear and started throwing it into the crowd uh, and just giving all the stuff away to kind of rebel. Does this bring up any memories or any recollection? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I forgot all about that until you started uh, talking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah. So we were on Venice Beach doing a fingerboard event. And I don't know, I guess maybe to sell things, you might need like a permit or whatever. Like, I don't know what the rules are, but I mean, yeah. So the cops... Basically what you said, the cops said we couldn't sell stuff. And so I was like, all right, screw this. Like you guys can just have all this stuff. You know, the ultimate goal at the end of the day is just fingerboarding fun, get good boards and good products to good people. And that's it. So I was just like, here you go. Just throwing everything into the crowd. And yeah, (laughs) that that's incredible. I mean, that's, you know, was I mean, in a way, a very smart business decision, but that's just, you know, it goes back to that skateboard underground rebelling kind of just feel. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the standards and the rules are. We're going to we're going to enjoy this and we're going to have fun and we're going to do this no matter what. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, I've always been kind of like I try not to really follow the crowd. I kind of just try to do what feels right for me and for the people around me. So I'm just like, you know, one way or another, we're going to have fun here. And yeah, I mean, it made people really happy because 
you know, they wanted to spend their money and then they didn't even have to, and they got stuff anyways. And people who probably didn't expect to get anything got something. And, you know, at random, it's like, oh, cool. I actually caught one. Like, it's way cooler if you're like, yeah, this board I caught in this situation versus like, oh, yeah, I bought this board at the event. You know, it, it's a way cooler story. It's like memories for life. Yeah, yeah. And for, gosh, somebody's going to remind me where I heard that from, but somebody told me that because I think they were there. Um, and I when, when they told me that, I was like, that is straight up just awesome that that you just, you know, said screw this and did the most rebellious thing that you can do, but make everybody happy. So we're filming this January 21st. One of the things that everybody seems to be talking about, and I, I think it's relevant to bring it up because, again, you are one of the you are on the Mount Rushmore fingerboarding without a doubt. Your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the current? How do I put this tech deck scandal and the bearing slip and all that type of stuff? Because apparently that is what everybody has been talking about. What are your two cents? Yeah. So um, basically, tech deck. First of all, tech deck is great. You know, you've heard me reference them plenty of times throughout the stories of all the years of fingerboarding. So we all started with tech deck, and we all love tech deck. And, you know, they do a lot of good stuff for the scene, especially offering fingerboards for $4 at Walmart and Target so that any new person who wants to fingerboard can pick up a tech deck and they can see if this hobby is something that they like, you know, like nobody wants to spend $100 to see if they like a new hobby. But if you can spend $4 and try it out, it's like there's no loss if you don't like it. And if you do like it, it's like you're in, you know, you can fingerboard. So that's like the best thing that they've done ever. And, you know, bringing the real skate graphics for years and years, just kind of showing like skateboarding and fingerboarding exist together and are, you know, it's a real thing. So they've, they've really done a lot. The thing is like with their new thing, I'm not saying that they have to stop or that they have to change it or anything, but the point to make is just that what they recently did was that they copied the exact designs more or less, very, very close. They kind of did like a knockoff kind of thing of a lot of professional fingerboard companies, you know, hard work. For example, Black River Trucks, they pioneered the professional fingerboard truck, which was a huge step above from Tech Deck. And, you know, they put a crazy amount of money and time and resources into creating those. You would not believe the amount that it cost them if I told you right now, but it's private, so they probably don't want me to say it. But anyways, a lot of money. Of I mean, you could put a down payment on a house with that. So, you know, they designed Black River trucks. They're some of the best trucks. There's other truck companies too. But what what you see now is like we have different fingerboard truck companies and they all have their own unique design, shape, dimensions, performance. So you have Dynamic, which are really good. I use a lot of those too. And they're completely different from Black River trucks. And then you get Y trucks and you got whatever else. There's all these different brands and they're all unique. So then to see Tech Deck come and take the exact design of Black River trucks and put that on their new complete. And then they had wheels that looked exactly like my dual durometers and they even called it dual durometer, which, you know, that was just kind of interesting. You know, like I'm not that upset about it, but it's worth commenting on is my point. And so people take things out of context and they say like, oh, Mike's complaining, Mike's mad. I'm like, no. I'm really not mad. Like you can see me smiling because in the end of the day, it's an honor to even be knocked off by tech deck. You know, that's cool. They thought my design was that awesome that they want (laughs) to use that on what they call their pro series. Like that's crazy. I never would have imagined something like that happening. And, you know, with black river. So there was the black river trucks that they did, but they also took like that gold square rail with the iridescent coloring on it, like the low iron gold, They made one of those and then they made a brick box with like bricks on the coping. So it's obvious that they were inspired by Black River for all that stuff. But it's it's more of like in fingerboarding, we've always had this thing for, you know, the last 20 years that I've been involved in fingerboarding. The community consensus is if you're going to make a product, you don't take somebody's product and copy it one to one and make the same thing. You make your own thing. If you change it a little bit and you make it unique we will support that. That's awesome. But we don't want to see the exact thing being copied when it doesn't need to be copied because you're taking away from the original person who put in all that 
work and time and passion and everything into the development like Black River. I'm talking more about Black River than me because, you know, it's not the end of the world that their wheel looks like my wheel. I don't care that much. But really to see them knock off Black River, too, is just like a lot of people are just like, come on, Tech Deck. Like, why did you have to do it that way? It's it doesn't look good on their part because all fingerboard brands have always Mm -hmm. tried to innovate from each other and you can be inspired by each other like inspiration is huge so if you see that somebody has you know a box with bricks on it it doesn't mean you can never make a box with bricks you can do it but don't do it the same do it differently and you know tech deck did it differently but you could also argue they did it worse because they made the bricks out of plastic but it's interesting it's a cool subject to really talk about and my whole point was not like that i'm complaining or that i'm upset but it's more of like I want to bring this discussion up so that people can think about all of these concepts, like the originality and the, they didn't have to make things that look the same. They have enough money as a huge corporation. They could invent anything that they wanted. They could make an obstacle that we've never seen. They could make trucks with a different shape that maybe looks like a different skate brand. Like they could collaborate with any skate brand on earth and make that truck on a fingerboard. And that would be cool. So if they're listening, take that idea. Again, I'm not hating on tech deck. It's more of just the principle of copying like a one-to-one thing. Like an analogy you could use is kind of, you know, when you're like in the street in New York and some guy tries to sell you a fake Rolex or something and it looks the exact same as a real Rolex watch, except that it's not and the materials are worse and that it's going to break over time. And, you know, people who can look closely can see that it's so much worse and it's not the real deal, but they're out there and they're selling tons of them. And it's like, well, what about the company that, you know, how many millions of dollars did they probably have to spend to design the Rolex watch, like one of the craziest watches, or like you get the fake Gucci bags. It's like the same thing. It's like, you're not helping the real scene of the real designers and whatever. It's like, if those people making fake Rolexes made their own watch design, they'd have their own brand and it would be like, oh, cool. You got that one. That's awesome. I like how it's different than the Rolex and it has the whatever. Like, I don't know about watches that much, but it's, it's just to make a point, like, there's a huge difference between copying something and being inspired by and then modifying it and changing it and making it your own. So that's basically what everybody's talking about, is that we want to see if Tech Deck wants to try to compete at the professional level, uh, we would all rather see them doing it from a place of uniqueness, creativity, orig- originality. And like I said before, then there's space for everybody to coexist. You know, if Tech Deck made a cool, let's say a truck that was like Thunder Trucks or whatever, they, they picked a skate brand and collab, made a cool truck or something, you could see something like that maybe, maybe on Flatface one day because it's like it's not a knockoff of another brand that I, you know, have supported for 20 years, but rather it's something different and unique. And then there's space for both of them to be there, like I said before, with how like I don't view other board companies as competitors. I view it as like we're all making our own kind of art. So that's pretty much it, I guess. And the bearing slip thing just made it that much more viral, I think, because uh, a couple people messaged me and they were like, hey, look in the commercial. The wheel is broken in their official commercial that they posted. And so, of course, I went over there and screenshotted it because I was like, holy crap, it's really, really broken. Like the wheel was completely broken off of the bearing and it was worse than a normal bearing slip it was like really far down the truck it wasn't just locked up or something it was like i don't know i mean i i don't want to complain or whatever because at the end of the day it's, it's not my problem but to see a brand put something like that in their commercial and not catch it is a little bit shady and you know so it, it's like whoever edited that probably doesn't fingerboard because they would have caught it I would have caught it if, if it was, you know, if something I was editing. I'd be like, hey, the wheel's broken. You want to uh, do something about that, maybe? Like, not not just put something like that in. So, you know, I, I do want to raise the question of, like, what are their intentions here? What are the motivations? I'm not saying that they're bad or that they're good, but, you know, I do like to provoke uh, thoughtful discussion between people and just kind of the mindfulness of, like, if you have the choice, support a real fingerboarding company that's been... I mean, Tech Deck is a real fingerboarding company too, so you could argue that. But, you know, somebody, a small, passionate brand, like, you know, Scott from Dynamic, he has been fingerboarding as long as I have. He made his trucks from the ground up, tons of work into them. The performance is insane, super good. So it's like, support somebody like that. 
instead, in my opinion. But yeah, ultimately there's room for everybody. We just, we have never liked to see knockoffs when there's space to be original. Absolutely. The way the way you handled that and everything that you've just explained, I completely understand where you're coming from and what you're saying. Now, I think it just shows the humility you have when the the words that you choose to describe the situation and the circumstance of, you know, saying they're obviously inspired by certain products. Now, I don't have any skin in the game, but anybody with two eyes and, you know, 1020 vision can see that they're a blatant ripoff of specific products from from different companies. And I can say that I know you you're you're too nice of a human being um, to say that, but I will. But hopefully, like you said, they're listening. They take the feedback because I, I think back to, gosh, how long ago was it now with the um, the expert skate series and nobody remembers those. And I can't remember if it was Indies or some other type of truck that they had and their own kind of wheels and all this other type of stuff. You know, why why did they have to go this route? It's unfortunate. I doubt they'll comment on it. But like you said, if you have the opportunity support another fingerboard brand and may i mentioned uh, i heard the price the going price for one of these uh, fingerboards was uh the tech decks new ones was 69 bucks a flat face complete is also 69 dollars. people get yourself a real deck real wheels and i can say that mike won't say it because he's too good of a person but it's been one of the best deals on the market and it still is well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh-huh. I was also going to mention if people are looking for like an entry level complete, for example, something like a close up for 30 bucks, it's going to outperform the new Tech Deck Pro Series at 70 bucks. So you don't have to spend that much money to get that little of a of a deal. You know, it's like if, if you want to save money, there's really good places where you can save money. If you want to spend a lot of money, you should support the right people at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, just just giving the people options and being honest about it. Yeah, for sure. And also something to mention is that fingerboard companies that are run by fingerboarders, so it doesn't have to be just me, but in general, they always have the best products compared to fingerboard companies that are run by people who are not fingerboarders, who try to get in on the fingerboarding thing and they see it as like a money grab or whatever, which I'm not saying that about Tech Tech specifically, but you know, you can tell if a product is made by a fingerboarder or not. And, you know, if it's, if it's broken in the commercial, it's a little bit questionable who's making the commercial and who's working there. So, you know, Tech Deck, ultimately, it is a big brand. It's a toy company. And like I said, they've done amazing things for fingerboarding. So I'm not trying to trash them, but I'm just trying to be honest and have the discussion of saying, you know, look at what's going on and that's it. And ultimately, I know people are going to buy them and I'm curious to see what what it's like in real life. I mean, I've heard from people who use them. I've seen very detailed videos, reviews, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I can tell by how it looks, by the dimensions and this and that, what it's like. And I mean, I'm just going to say it again, support people who fingerboard, they always make the best stuff. So if you want the best, highest quality, best performing gear, boards, wheels, trucks, whatever it is, the people who fingerboard they're the ones who make it and then they say, this isn't good enough. I need to make it again. I need to change this. I need to change that. And they might do that 30 times before you even see the product. And then you see the product and they release it. And, you know, they might not always tell you the story of how they made it so good, but that's where the best stuff comes from is like, like I said, Scott has the other best trucks out there, you know, Black River trucks and then dynamic trucks. Um, performance wise and then you know for boards there's hundreds of boards out there but it's all the people I've noticed because I've been watching for so long that the best boards there's a lot of good boards right but the best performing boards tend to come from the fingerboarders that fingerboard the best if you see like John Cowart he's like such a good fingerboarder and then you try one of his boards and it's like okay I see how he's doing that he has a really good board that he made like he knows how to make it and if you're good enough, you fingerboard and you can tell in five minutes if a board is making you better or worse, and then you can go from there. So uh, that's just like general advice. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more. There's there's no doubt about it. My main setup, I mean, I have a, I, I have a lot of fingerboard stuff. I mean, I've just collected it through the years, but still, 
I always go back. Uh, before this, it was a G13. When I got back into it, G15. They're fantastic. I'll shout out a buddy of mine. I, I'm not sure if you're, you're too familiar with uh, Jared from Sponsor Me Tape. And he does. He also has a company called Decatur Decks. But when it comes to underrated fingerboarders, one of the best. And like you said, just the people that spend time doing this, they will always put out the best product. Yeah, definitely. I'd like um, to check those out too. I'm always interested in checking out, you know, different brands that I haven't seen yet and stuff like that. So send me his info after. I'll take a look. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Finger Space Podcast. Thanks for skating by and don't forget to nosebonk that subscribe button and dark slide on over to our Discord server. This episode was produced by Fingerspace Co. and hosted by Nostalgia FB. Big thanks to all guests and listeners.